0: The property is stunning, the view of the Pacific, which takes us into forever. When I drove down that hill, I was in a van, and I saw what I saw. My first experience was one of freedom.
1: Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am just so happy to welcome Ellen Watson to the My Fourth Act podcast. Ellen is known around the world as a somatic movement and healing arts educator. Ellen lived lived and worked in Big Sur at the historic Esalen Institute for over 30 years. While at Esalen as a staff chef, gardener, body worker, and mover and shaker, Ellen rebirthed and directed Esalen's movement arts program. Through her own organization, Moving Adventures, Ellen has trained the next generation of healing arts practitioners from around the world. Before COVID, Ellen divided her time equally between the United States and Bali. There's so much to talk about and learn from you, Ellen, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Akin. Before we get to some of the amazing things you've done and your journey in life now, I I always wonder when when you were growing up and you have a slight little southern lilt to your speech. So I assume you grew up somewhere in the South. Who what were your dreams about growing up? Who did you think you wanted to be?
0: Well, I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're picking up because that's we a lot up. like this. <laughs> I can go right back there. My mother and my aunt were born in Mississippi, and so they had even more of a magnolia mouth. Uh-huh. I a, a, a really sweet, it's very sweet.
1: Yeah.
0: And one thing I learned as a child that sounding sweet was not necessarily indicative of being sweet, Mm -hmm. that there was a way to talk, even if you were ready to push a knife into somebody's heart. (laughs) So I grew up in a charming environment with three wonderful homemaking women Uh who were cooks and the true art of homemaking. So I got a lot of love and appreciation for what the Buddhists call random acts of kindness, and senseless beauty. So the senseless beauty was easy, and my family were all practicing Christians, particularly my mother was very kind. There were lots of service work modeled, more blessed to give than receive, all of those messages that were either explicit or implicit, in the culture of the times, for women, for good Christian women. And there was a lot of rigidity in that system as well as the good aspects. The three women that I mentioned who were helped form my childhood and shape my experience and belief systems had a way of stepping outside that that was uh, harmful to themselves one was addicted to alcohol my grandmother that had to be addressed later in life later in my life late teenage years and my mother was diagnosed as schizophrenic when i was 10 and my aunt bipolar back then it was called manic depressive illness so in addition to all the sweetness and the love and the good christian values there was the necessity to look beneath behavior to what was real, to look at what is the essence of this situation or this person, because I was the only granddaughter, daughter, and niece of these women. So I, I learned to help them, you know, I, to do what I could. And so I had this desire to heal, to save, to help. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. I didn't yeah. know what was out of there even meant. Yeah. But I did. I had the experience of being confined and constrained. And in order to have any fun, I had to be a bad girl.
1: Yeah.
0: So I was bad. And then it took a while after I got to Esalen, to realize I wasn't bad at all. I was just having natural, human, teenage, youthful, even childhood experiences, a free spirit, we'll call it, that cultural, religious, societal, familial beliefs kept trying to put in boxes.
1: You gave us such a wonderful framework for (laughs) what I call a a very old school narrative for women, and you are, I would say, innate rebellion against it. And I mean rebellion in the most positive kind of way. Mm-hmm. And you already mentioned Esalen, which is an in the world of personal transformation and growth and an iconic place in the United States. And you were already in you haven't very intimately connected with them. So I'm, of course, curious. How does a young woman from Winston-Salem and that in Big the, Sur, how did that the, happen?
0: The two-minute life history.
1: Yes. It's
0: Big Sur. So I've described my familial youth. And I dated a young man who asked me to marry him every day for 30 days. And the day before I left for college, we eloped. And went across the state line to South Carolina. And I married him. And, you know, in reflection, it was not. I mean, I loved him. I wasn't ready to marry. In the truest sense of the word, mature, making a life decision. And I was ready to get out of my trap. And I did not have a conscious thought of, well, if college doesn't work, then I have this. But we could say that that was a safeguard. Yeah. College did work. I loved the experience of being free to t- study, learn, teach, be social without those particular confines I described. But I did stay married after some counseling when we both went home for the holidays. I went to Baltimore where he was in school. I was a playboy bunny to earn money. Mm-hmm. Which was a totally eye opening experience that I did for six months. That was enough. Yeah. And then we moved to New York. We moved to North Carolina for a year to save money to move to New York because he was an artist and he was really specialized in cartooning, political and social cartooning. He was going to go work with the New Yorker and become one of their cartoonists. And he died of a cerebral hemorrhage in December, January of 69, just before my 21st and his 23rd birthdays. Of course, that was a tragedy on all levels, someone so young. I married again a year later, stay in Atlanta, because I had gone to Atlanta to stay with friends to recover. Because being in my family home in North Carolina was not supportive at the time for the reasons I've already said. I married and we had a 10-year successful relationship. He recognized that he was gay after we were married for eight years. So I married when I found the next man who was definitely not gay. Somebody I had known since we were in high school. I lived in Texas, and he had so many challenges in his younger life. Again, religious. His father was a Baptist preacher. There was abuse in his family, and all of that gave me somebody who really needed saving. I did my best. I had a lot of fun for a while. And then his addictions to everything Mm -hmm. that was unhealthy, I feared for the life of his children. I was their stepmother and for my own life. So I left after some incidences that were clear and a family friend put me on a plane to California and said, you go to Esselstyn.
1: That's
0: how I got there. So I had had three marriages and a, a life filled with dysfunctional relationships
1: For listeners who are not familiar with Esalen, and if you had to give a little snapshot, I I think of it as this magical, magical place uh, that has a special place in the history of just the personal growth, spiritual development, um, evolution.
0: Briefly about it. Yeah. The, The Institute itself is 27 acres of that hugs the coastline of Big Sur, California. Yeah. And the entirety of Big Sur, the Ventana Wilderness, was the home to an Indian tribe named the Esalen, mm-hmm. and the Institute borrowed its name from that tribe. And the that particular s- stretch of land was the most sacred of the entire Esalen nation, mm-hmm. the tribe, because of it. It has hot springs, it has a cold spring that supplies fresh drinking and getting yourself clean water. And of course, it has the ocean yeah. and the rain. So they called it the land of four waters. This is the 60 year anniversary yeah. of the Institute's opening. The man who wanted the asylum lived on the land he really kept one hand on the steering on the wheel and one on the rudder that's a rough sea out there and that it was quite a shift ship to both steward and direct and it was home of the counterculture in the 60s everything happened there all the rock all the the sex drugs and rock and roll home and Seminal scholars in a wide variety of disciplines that all had to do with the human potential yeah. were invited to come there and offer whatever they did to whoever came to be there. So, you know, the Beatles came and the Stones and Joan Baez lived in a cabin there. And if you're interested in the somatic and healing, and I'll say consciousness arts, yeah. Most of the names that are either well-known today, or if you delve into it, you would find, live there and help develop their work in that very creative environment. So when I dropped in, yeah, after it was open 20 years, it was um, past the wildest days because the culture in general had slammed the door shut on the use of both plant and entheogens and pathogens and visionary medicine, we'll say. Almost everyone was illegal in the greater culture. And Esalen had gotten away with, because of its remote location, and no real federales, establishment, government agencies came down that highway. and But even there, it had to stop. So I was there during that transition time where we still did all the old things but they became illegal to do but the teachers who were still in residence were just who I needed it was truly maybe I could have gone to India to Osho's ashram if I'd known it existed yeah. there are there could have been a few places in the on the planet who could have helped me with the type of healing that I needed, which was every type I needed, spiritual, emotional, psychological, physical, you name it. I needed it. So I knew the property is stunning. The view of the Pacific, which takes us into forever. Mm -hmm. When I drove down that hill, I was in a van and I saw what I saw my first experience was one of freedom, a felt sense of freedom. And then as I got used to the property and I walked it and I ran on it and I danced through it and I took workshops, I took four, two five-day and two weekends. Mm. And it was the two weekends that really helped me know I needed to be there. One was in a, conducted by a psychiatrist who was part of the original psychedelic research group in Czechoslovakia. He's still alive today. He's be 92 this summer. His name is Stanislav Grof, and his work is recognized globally now under the heading of Grof Legacy. And to have that man and his brilliance and his heart and his background, be able to work with me physically, and through his breathwork, I knew I had found someone who knew something I wanted for myself, and the other one was a um, gestalt. Gestalt is a German word.
1: Very form. familiar with it, yes.
0: Yes, form, and it was my first experience of actually contacting, entering, exploring, and expressing what was real and true in the moment without trying to be sweet or cute, yeah. Southern, the, the way I grew up. Yeah. And so a level of authenticity was demanded even, invited for sure. But if, one, if I couldn't go there, I had a room of people, you know, 18 people all looking at me, waiting for something authentic to emerge. The cute was okay, but let yeah. what's under there? Yeah. So that's how I knew it was a place for me. So I attended to my affairs in Texas, came home and visited my family and told them I'm disappearing for a while into California. And I don't know exactly how long I'll stay. I went to go for three months and I stayed 30 years at calling it home.
1: A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans and you will also learn more about the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. How have you talked about how Mr. Groth's work affected you? And many years later, I trust you have a similar effect on some people that come to to learn from you. So you're another generation. Your work is different from his. How, by staying at Esalen, did you emerge as a healing practitioner, as a somatic practitioner, movement practitioner? How do you Mm -hmm. go from being healed to becoming a healer?
0: Well, there's a, a book written by an Episcopal priest named Henry Nguyen or Henri Nguyen and it's called the Wounded Healer. I honestly believe most of us who have entered the healing arts and I put that into the broad umbrella for everything that includes that I do, do so as uh, for something that has been healing for themselves. Mm. We all theoretically are born with a hole in our soul and we endeavor to fill that up with ego-based needs until we realize that those are band-aids that cover the wound so it didn't take me long to do that you know how to take off all those band-aids and really become raw and vulnerable and then to fill with my essential nature my essence and then how to, I didn't intend to turn that into a profession. I was there for my own healing. I needed to supplement my income. I had a certain amount of savings, but I spent that. I used Esalen as a university. The programming that we had available then was not available in a standard university setting. But the outgrowth of that occurred in the late 90s was the birth of three different institutes in Northern California. One that's very well known now, the California Institute of Integral Studies, CIIS in San Francisco. They have a branch now in China. And many of the scholars who went through ESLIN left to go found CIIS. So I haven't pursued advanced degrees But I imagine that if I were willing to do a lot of writing, I could have a PhD in what I would call universal studies, consciousness studies. So everything I did, I did everything I could. I worked the whole time I was there. I never not worked once I returned. But the climate at the time, the culture at the time, We didn't earn much money. We got housing and food and, you know, a little bit of money and some funding, a scholarship fund to help us with our educational pursuits. So I spent the money I had on certification trainings in massage and dance and yoga and breathwork and hypnosis, Buddhist studies. I became a licensed minister in the Center for Spiritual Healing. Because I grew up a Baptist and I spent 10 years as an Episcopalian, active, and we're not talking about just by name, I was very active. The relationship of spirit, you know, of the beautiful messages I received from the red words in the New Testament, I'll say, the messages of Jesus and the Buddha and all the love and service and care and Nonviolence, ahisma all of those things that I was able to combine it. I forgot to mention, I studied singing gestalt, where we sing not for performance, but to express feelings. And the dance work that I did, a woman named Gabrielle Roth, whose yes. goal was to support actors in being more authentic particularly stage actors, but all actors, uh, film. So under the singing gestalt and the dance practice of expressing oneself, I found my voice. I'm not a trained singer. I'm studying both keyboard and vocal, taking vocal lessons online. I share cappella mostly what I've learned and maybe I can carry a nice tune and a melody I don't know harmonies but I pull all this together and I was asked to work on the healing arts team because I was at the bath giving sessions all the time so I began part-time while I was a cook and I left Esalen for a while thinking I would go back into the real world a different real world than that world. And it took me only a few months to realize I wasn't quite ready to graduate. So when I returned, I just pinch hit in the kitchen when they needed help. But I earned my living practicing massage. It was there. It was during that time that I would give 20 sessions a week and I would lead a movement class every morning, free of charge. Some form, it was either yoga or dance or qigong, some form of movement. And I created a wonderful schedule for myself that I ascribed to recreating for myself somewhere. Again, that I, the first hours of the day were waking up and breathing and expressing myself, working out, if you will, a metaphysical and physical workout. And then going to the Esalen bathhouse, which is a sacred temple for healing through water. It's one of the real spas in our country. That when I called it that in a workshop description, I had to edit it because they didn't want Esalen to be known as a spa. Mm -hmm. And you might know this being German, but the word spa originates from spa Belgium a hot springs place in Belgium correct yeah so there again Esalen was a spa because you go there to heal by water I mean it was the, the true spa I would was able to work outside a majority of the time removed from other people so I wasn't constrained by tight space. Space is at a premium everywhere on that property, including at the baths, to practice. So the practice of esalen massage and bodywork was created to the music of the Pacific, to the rhythms of the Pacific Ocean, but no words. Yeah. And what I did was use song, mantra, prayer, chant used the senses, all the senses, to work with people. I did invocations and incantations and benedictions. And if, some, if I was inspired by something in nature or something they had said, a prayer or something came to me, I just put music behind it. So it was an extremely creative and meaningful way to combine everything I was studying and learning. And that's how what I call touching essence, that's my brand, was birthed because the touch the body, touch the soul, free the spirit. And I would say, move the body, move the soul, free the spirit, breathe the body, breathe the soul. And the word for spirit means in spirit, bring breath in. When we are inspired, we're have are so because we've brought breath in. That is one definition if you looked in a dictionary.
1: When I introduced you, I used the word somatic, which I if I had to label myself, I would describe myself as a somatic coach you just get such a beautiful description of somatic is about every aspect of being. And it's about all the senses and what I call the big work. And you just gave us such a beautiful description of all the things you channel, invoke, mm-hmm. and invite in your work. Mm-hmm. I could spend hours talking to you about your experience at Esalen. But I, I'm really interested in you're a woman in your 70s now. You're extraordinarily accomplished You, through moving ventures, your own organization. You've also spent, before COVID, a lot of time in Bali. I have a sense you have a strong affinity for Bali, and I'd love for you to talk about it. But then COVID disrupted that way of being in the world. Could you talk a little bit about just to the attraction to Bali and how you walked through the disruption of your life?
0: Well, the bathhouse at Esalen was wood and canvas, roll-down tarps. And in the winter months, February, March, April, January, some days could be stunningly beautiful, but most days we needed to be not outside in the weather. And it was too cold and on a rainy, stormy day. It was not a pleasant environment to give or receive massage. So I had visited most of the islands in the Caribbean, being from the East Coast and having spent some time there, looking for an appropriate location. Didn't find one that was suitable in price because of the educational budget for most people studying somatic or healing arts. I began importing sarongs from Bali before I went to generate revenue. I fell in love with the fabric first. Mm -hmm. I was invited to go there to teach. So I went and I fell in love with the culture, the people, the total upside down from Western way, Bali Hinduism, and the ritual and the ceremony, and then the affordability. I found two, three places that I love teaching and they built a room for me or adapted a room because I think they understood that if it worked for me, it would work for others like me yeah. in the somatic arts. And it's true the, those places, most of them are full now. I mean, booked well in advance. So it was a variety of things. It wasn't because it was convenient,
1: but a long trip to Bali, a long
0: trip. But not so far from California. It was really just San Francisco to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Bali. Or you stop somewhere along the Pacific Rim, you land on the other side, and then you get to Bali. Because I've been there so often, I started in the late 90s. People from Asia Pacific came to Bali because it's easy for them. They don't cross the Pacific. And so I developed clientele and was invited to go into China and Japan and Korea and other places that I didn't go just because of time, Taiwan. So in the last two years, but for the previous seven years prior to that, I spent a majority of the year, eight months a year on the other side of the Pacific in Bali. We'll say half of it in Bali, six to eight weeks in China. I had a smattering of European times. I work in Italy, extensively in Italy now. That's how and why I got to Bali. The phase I'm in now, which is the fourth act, I have experienced during 20 had some exciting moments. The first quarter I was in Indonesia and sort of like Alice in Wonderland got puffed back into this reality on the East Coast. I fell in love with sunflowers and birds and bees and the whole process of pollinators and was so grateful to be a part of the solution for providing healthy food for birds and bees didn't wasn't sprayed or you know wouldn't make them sick and i enjoyed the cycles and the rhythms of nature and reconnecting with family during that time and i had enough retained earnings to keep it all going and to pay the people in bali 21 i still paid them that was not easy and i am going soon to go spend six weeks to work with the team of people that a majority of whom I haven't met and make important decisions about, is this still a commitment I hold dear for me to continue going and supporting this enterprise? My goal is to empower them to be self-sustained and I haven't managed that online. So we'll see if me being there in person. I have a couple of products. I've always believed that if I had invented the ballpoint pen, let's use that as an example, <laughs> something everybody needs one of at least. My intention to support myself was to create a an appropriate item that everybody wanted one or more of that I made $1 off, profit. Net profit. So I have one product that I'm going to go see if we can get all the ducks. I've already refined the product. That's not the problem.
1: Getting Uh, it. Can you tell us what the product is, Ellen?
0: I can even show you one. So
1: our our listeners won't be able to see it, but I'll. Okay.
0: Well, it's a crescent moon pillow. Uh Uh-huh. It has a liner. You stuff it with organic cotton or kapok or some sort of organic plant-based material to the level of thickness that is appropriate for the use. They can be used as a Zafu, a meditation cushion. They can be used as a lap cushion to put your computer on or your eating tray or nurse your baby or put behind your neck to prop yourself up. It's not practical to carry on an airplane. We're not trying to compete with airline pillows. These are decorative. They're beautiful in the home, on the bed, wherever you have them. So my task is to create visual media, little short-term, short clips, and photos of all these uses, and then to create a label. I don't want any packaging, a cardboard, you know, a thicker than paper sleeve that allows them to be hung, that has graphics on it. I have a graphic designer I met at Esalen who will do it. And then how to ship from Bali so they don't have to be shipped here, there, and yon, or go to a fulfillment house. And I believe I've worked that through that. So we have a marketing channel that makes it affordable for the individual to buy. I've sold the, enough of these to people who come to Bali or an, anyone who's really studied with me for long starts out buying two and then they get four and then they have 20 yeah. and they have them in their studio or in their home. They come in, their fabric is woven in Bali in the village of Klungkung. It took a long time to find that. And my dear long-term friend has a sewing factory Instead of, they call these sewers, they're calling them, so, sew- what are they call- it's a combination of s- sewer and artist, sardist, something, anyway, they are so beautifully crafted that all the detail, and they ha- they wear and tear beautifully, so I'm very happy with the product.
1: So, where my mind is going as I'm listening to you, what I'm hearing is, Besides being a healer, you definitely also have an entrepreneurial mindset. Yes, you have to have it with an organization like Moving Ventures, which is a non for profit, and that you talked about paying uh, your people in in Bali, and that all costs money. So, what keeps you going? What well, keeps I you, what have, keeps I you exploring?
0: Have four retail stores and an importing business when I lived in Atlanta for 10 years before I went to Texas and then California. Mm -hmm. So, And I majored in advertising and marketing. That was my major in school. So I'm really interested in that. And I have an eye for that. And now necessity being the mother of invention, Mm -hmm. I need to, I don't want, To abandon these people and just drop it. I want them to be successful and me to be successful in this way. So, in my fourth act, I really want to manifest this dream of of these pillows because it's something that is dear to me that I learned. I learned it even before I went to Esalen. Rachel Carson, who was wrote about the death of the night and Joanna Macy and they were they didn't call it climate change but just what was happening with plastic this was in the 670s like I said this was a long time ago but it had rung true with me and I lived on a boat in Florida for a year in the Keys and I saw already what we were doing to reefs and to plastic. So I am an environment, I'm an eco-terrorist. Greta came out and taught us all a lot. And I have wondered if, should I stop flying? One of my teachers, Terrence McKenna, talked about the carbon footprint that we have when we fly. I talked to him about it and he said, well, what you do when you get there? is so valuable that I believe you're offsetting it because I have been very helpful to the people of Bali learning about single-use plastic because there's no formal trash removal on any Indonesian island. So they need to find ways to deal with what has been brought into their islands.
1: Do you do you ever have that voice inside? I didn't mean to stop you. Do you ever have a voice that says, Ellen, maybe you should slow down a little bit? Or is that does that voice not exist within you?
0: Well, I had to slow down during COVID. Yeah. I could have, and I wondered what stopped me from really going online and teaching everything online. It's hard to teach quality of touch through a screen. That is not. And you don't hug people through a screen. A lot of what I do that is so deeply meaningful requires being in person. But there's things I could have done to adapt more to the virtual world. Something has stopped me. I have a new team of people. They're old. Both women I met. They were inspired by their work with me. They could be my daughters. One just turned 50, and one is 40, almost 46. We have the Vibrance Collective, and we birthed this. The idea was birthed in 2016 in Bali when I introduced these two women to each other. Then we were starting to envision how pulling our three skill sets together would work, then COVID happened. We regathered in Colorado, where the one with the children lives, in September of 20. We explored putting ourselves on platforms, you know, on podcasts and on all of that. And something hasn't gelled yet. We tried to have two in-person programs, one in Kauai and one in Costa Rica. And COVID realities got in the way. So we're in a pandemic pause. I have felt very sad about that. A lot of my creative juice has gone into this practice that we call vibrance. It's my version, our version of combining, of taking the expressive arts off the stage and bringing them into daily life, whether it's the home, the school, the church gatherings. The reason I'm still pregnant with that and haven't quite delivered it, it, well, I have. I I think I'm having quintuplets or something. (laughs) I delivered the the first iteration, and I have a few teachers around the world, one in Shanghai and one in Germany that's just outstanding. She's in graduate school right now. A couple in Switzerland, one in Italy, and one in New England that's really just now. And all of these people, most of these people could be my children. Yeah. So I'm mentoring them. And I think at this stage in my life, and maybe in Act Four, that is a call. So slow down. I yearn, I long for another <laughs> Esalen esque place. Mm. They say you can't go home again. Somebody from Asheville wrote that. Thomas Wolfe, a well-known book. And I don't believe that. I think I would need to go home with a very new attitude and be open to the way things are now. But in truth, I left a decision to help care for my elders. And because the water wasn't warm enough for me, the Pacific. The Central Pacific. And I want to live by a warmer and more swimmable sea that is that way at least half the year. So I'm not jumping on airplanes every week and searching, but I'm open and I'm going places purposefully waiting to experience a knowing similar to what I had when I went to Esalen and what I had when I went to Bali. And I felt a real calling when I went on a personal vacation with then-husband to St. Thomas. And higher up of one of the hills, looking down over houses in the sea, seeing a retreat center. Yeah. I think it was the Beach Boys house, but <laughs> I saw it as the house of love and music, I think I
1: called it. As we complete the conversation, what touches me especially is to hear you articulate a contemplation of what else might still be waiting, or a yearning or desire for, I would call new versions of the old and familiar, but in new places and new settings and new possibilities and uh, and your desire for that um, mm. or your openness to it is is very mm. moving to me.
0: Well, I want to live in community. I love living in community. I believe in it. I don't want to travel as much. I would rather people come there like they did at Esalen. So I'll be looking forward to discovering that. I'm going to Jamaica. I haven't been to Jamaica. And I'm Thanks. going to go teach in September. And I'm really praying that that is it. That that. And then I can, my quest can end.
1: (laughs) For our listeners who I I hopefully understand that your energy and your essence and your vibrance touches people all over the world. If they want to find out more about what you do, I know you have public programs planned for the future in Bali. Where do people go to get information about?
0: I have two uh, websites, movingventures.org. And the vibrancecollective.com. Those are the best doorways. And then I have email at both of those addresses. Cool. I'm on most social media under my name, Ellen Watson.
1: Ellen, thank you for well, the gift of the conversation, but the gift of your spirit and your essence and your presence. It was a complete joy for me.
0: Thank mm, you. Thank you. Um, me too. I feel like I've met a new friend.
1: Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review. And let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.